Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Freedom Caucus podcast. This is your host, Jody Heiss. We are honored to have you joining us today. We appreciate it a great bit. As you know, we are back in session and the Democrats are in charge, as you are very much aware of. They are in charge of the House of Representatives and it is a circus. We're watching another week just this week alone of of votes that are increasing regulations on America's businesses, decreasing economic productivity. Just for example, uh, just this week, we've been focused on H.R. 9. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but that's the climate bill. Uh, And just to set the stage, back in 2017, President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement, Uh, That agreement, by the way, would have been disastrous on the U.S. economy. In fact, just to bring you up to speed, even the the other nations that are a part of the Paris Agreement, they are not abiding by the things themselves, but they're all screaming at us to be a part of it so we can uh, carry the load on our back, and it would just absolutely destroy our economy when we are the ones already who are actively, we are far and away, most effective at uh, decreasing gas emissions and all that sort of stuff. But anyways, the the Democrats have been pushing H.R. 9 this week. And uh, basically what H.R. 9 would do is try to force the president to get us back into the extremely flawed uh, Paris Climate Agreement. So they have lasered in, if you will, on the Paris Agreement while at the same time our national debt continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. We talked about this also a couple of weeks ago when Congressman Andy Biggs was joining us. And, you know, it bears repeating. It is a sobering thought. But the reality is our national debt is now approaching $23 trillion. It is in itself a national security issue that we've got to deal with. And Uh, Look, the Democrats in the House, they are not unaware of our bleak fiscal uh, condition. In fact, they have argued about spending uh, issues before the Easter break, but it will not be a surprise to you that they were not arguing about how to save money. In fact, just the opposite. They've been talking about how to bust through the spending caps by some $360 billion dollars over the next couple of years, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And just keep in mind that the budget caps that that we're talking about breaking were actually put into place under President Obama in the Budget Control Act of 2011. Uh, And so, so we just keep on down this path, and sadly, even with the Senate and the White House controlled by Republicans, there's a real, real, real chance that once again, Uh, we are going to cave to the Democrats and break the budget caps. And I just cannot continue wrapping my mind around why this is what it is. But this week, a coalition of grassroots groups in Washington sent a letter to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy urging them to oppose breaking the spending caps for fiscal year 2020 and 2021. The Congressional Budget Office says that uh, the amount of debt that, uh, catch this, uh, the the amount of debt held by the public will be at 92% of the GDP by 2029. That is frightening. CNBC wrote about this earlier in the year, noting that the debt to GDP ratio 
has a very real bearing on our ability to pay back our debt. And if the deficit spending continues like this, we will only exasperate the problem more and more. And that brings us to our very special guest today. I'm honored to have on the program with me Jason Pye from Freedom Works. He serves as the Vice President of Legislative Affairs for Freedom Works. He's been a prominent figure fighting for limited government and free market policies here in Washington, D.C. Before coming to Freedom Works, Jason was the editor of United Liberty, which is a blog focused on free markets, individual liberty, and limited government. He is a dear friend and a great champion. Jason, great to have you on the Freedom Caucus podcast. Thanks for having me, Congressman. I appreciate it. Well, listen, I, and just uh, just for the record, you are almost in my district. <laughs> almost, like a mile. And uh, I can take into calling you my adopted congressman for a reason, uh, not just being so close to your district, but also because you're a good friend of mine as well. And uh, I feel like I actually have representation with you. So, Well, you are, you are an adopted constituent, too, <laughs> and I'll, I'll let you know that. And you fuss at me like a constituent, too. <laughs> Every now so, and then. So there's a lot of similarities there. But listen, we're honored to have you here on the program, and you are a an expert on, on all these issues that, that are of great concern to us. So, so let's kind of get into this. Uh, your opinion on however you want to term this, but the fun, unforced errors, if you will, uh, that are driving our national debt. What is it that we are doing that continues driving the debt in the wrong direction? Well, I think in some respects, Republicans have run away from their greatest successes. You go back to 2011, the passage of the Budget Control Act. It was the biggest accomplishment House Republicans had. There are eight years of control of the House going from January of 2011 to uh, January of 2019 when Democrats took back over the House. Uh, that plus the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act until tax TCJA, the, by, uh, the Budget Control Act, was the biggest accomplishment. Unfortunately, not long after Republicans got that victory, they started walking it back. It was Speaker Boehner, then Speaker Boehner, who wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal saying, well, we have to address this because we're going to have cuts to, to our favorite programs. Democrats are going to have cuts to their favorite programs, you know, either defense discretionary spending or non-defense discretionary spending. And we, what we saw were, over the course of eight years, four different walkbacks or rollbacks of the BCA spending caps. They busted those caps. Uh, and the most recent being the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018, which thankfully you voted against, and many of your colleagues in the House Freedom Caucus voted against, and we appreciate that. Well, actually, the vast majority of your colleagues in the HFC voted against it, but that's a, uh, those are unforced errors. Um, you know, uh, the other side of it being these omnibus bills that Congress mm. keeps voting on, continuing resolutions, because they can't get back to the, the right process, doing 12 appropriations bills individually on time. Uh, the process here in Congress, the budgeting process and the appropriations process are broken. And, and then when things do get passed, it, it, getting through the Senate is a whole other issue. No, exactly. And, and look, to, to Republicans' credit, they did pass a couple different uh, omnibus bills, uh, I think in September, August and September of 20, um, uh, 2017, excuse me, July and September of 2017, that were mostly conservative, at least had some conservative priorities in right. them, but the Senate never took them off. Right. Um, now, they still were done in an un, uh, unideal way. There were omnibus bills, two separate omnibus bills, minibuses, if you will. But, but it put a lot of the appropriation bills in there. Right, yeah. yeah. And it had and it had generally conservative priorities in them in, in, in most spots. Uh, that's not to say we agree with everything in it. We didn't score them. We didn't outright support them. But there were many things in there we applauded. Unfortunately, the Senate never took them up. And this is partially Leader McConnell's fault as well. Um, 
I would say the biggest unforced error is the the inability of of House Republicans and Senate Republicans to stand behind the things that they've gotten passed in, in bipartisan fashion, the, the, the Budget Control Act being a bipartisan bill uh, with President Obama signing it into law and threatening to veto any, t any attempt to roll those back. But we've seen Republicans retreat from fiscal conservatism over and over and over again, and now we're staring down a, a possible fifth time of them rolling back the, the Budget Control Act, and it's frustrating. It is unbelievably frustrating. And now with the Democrats in control of the House, I mean, we've got this whole different scenario altogether where when we were in control, we wanted to take steps forward to dealing with the problem, and a CR is not where you want it to go. Now I feel like a CR in itself is a victory because that doesn't it's, it, it will prevent the Democrats from having this runaway type spending that they're trying to do. Well, yeah, I mean, the Democrats had the quote-unquote Investing for the People Act uh, that they had to pull from the floor, but that wasn't before they did a rule that had a, you know, a resolution they deemed out as passed that increased the cap on spending for fiscal 2020 to $1.4 trillion. It's kind of insane. They, they passed uh, a, a resolution that way to appropriate at that sort of spending level. But $360 billion over two years was what they wanted. Right. Um, and I think you may actually be right, and I hate to say it, too. Yeah, I do, too, but, I mean, it's kind of reality. Because at least it maintains it the maintains, levels. It maintains, right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking Green New Deal, $93 trillion. We're talking Medicare for all, $33 trillion. Yeah. I, You know, all of a sudden, a CR is kind of attractive. What's a few? Yeah, what's I hate a, to, I, it's unbelievable. What's a few trillion amongst friends? <laughs> At some point, a few hundred trillion is kind of real money. Yeah, no, know? exactly. No, but not to Democrats, though, because we can just print it out of thin air and, and you know, and not be a problem. Don't worry about inflation. Well, let me ask you this. I mentioned it a while ago that uh, uh, you and, and some other organizations have uh, put together a coalition letter that you sent to uh, McConnell and McCarthy. Uh, kind of just explain what was in the letter yeah. and have you had any kind of response yet? Well, I'll start with the last question. No, we have not received a response from either office. Uh, Leader McConnell does have uh, staffers who we do talk to on a pretty regular basis. Uh, Leader McCarthy does not have like coalitions outreach staffers who we talk to. We usually talk to um, Mr. Scalise's office when we have an issue that we think needs to be addressed by leadership. Uh, we did send that letter to Mr. Scalise's office, by the way. Um, uh, the letter basically said you, the Congress shouldn't bust the spending caps again. Uh, we know we pointed out what the Democrats wanted, and we know we're going to have to give up billions and billions and tens of billions of dollars in ground. Uh, to make it to get a deal with Democrats, which means busting the caps again, which means more uh, higher deficit for this year. The deficit this year is projected to be eight hundred ninety seven billion dollars. We know a deal is probably going to put that over a trillion dollars, most likely. Um, and given past being prologue, I mean, last year, the Bipartisan Budget Act was two hundred ninety six billion dollars in increased spending over two years. You do that again. You I mean, you're you're going to be over a trillion dollars. And that's a even though. The debt as a deficit as a percentage of GDP is probably, I would argue, the most important thing to look at. But the trillion dollars is an unavoidable caution sign. Absolutely, um, it's it's certainly notable. Um, the letter just basically said, "Don't do this again. Don't do this again." The president wants a CR. Do you anticipate getting a response? I, I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> I'm going to follow up with those offices probably uh, probably tomorrow and just say, "Hey, I sent this on Monday. Just want to flag it for you again. Would love a response. Sit down and meet." Uh, that letter was put together with a lot of with uh, feedback from a couple different groups. Uh, it was uh, it was basically myself and Rebecca Bidlack from the Coalition to Reduce Spending. I emailed her and just basically said, "Nobody's talking about this, and someone should be. Let's Absolutely. get a coalition letter together. 
let's get it over to their offices. Let's get some signers on it. And that's what happened. We got, you know, more, uh, almost, I think, more than a dozen groups signed on to it. Uh, you have us, the Club for Growth, uh, Coalition to Reduce Spending, uh, Americans for Tax Reform, and several others. And um, look, uh, and we, we also, and I also had an op-ed come out yesterday in the Washington Examiner saying, don't bust the spending caps again. This is, um, unfortunately, this issue is not being talked about enough. Certainly you and, and many others uh, in, in fiscal conservatives in the House are talking about spending, but not enough. Yeah. I remember when it was the, when that was all we were talking about, but we're not talking about as much as, as much as we need to, because we do have the, the light uh, is flashing red on the nation's uh, financial situation. Uh, that's a good word picture. I think the, the lights are definitely flashing red. And that's one of the things I appreciate, Jason, about you and Freedom Works and some of the other organizations that you mentioned. But you guys in particular are just l leading the way uh, in working uh, with uh, those of us, members of Congress and others, to keep this on the forefront and keep it on the forefront of our leadership. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it takes it, yeah. is involvement. Now, in part of you driving this whole thing has been a series of op-ebs that have recently been published in The Hill uh, on the topic of our, our, the, the fiscal problems that we're facing. And you touched in there uh, this concept of the third rail that really deals with entitlement reform. Uh, this is a grave concern to many of us. Let, let's talk, first of all, yeah. how entitlements themselves are driving the federal debt. I mean... Except 25% of, well, 25 to 30% of federal spending, depending on the year, is discretionary spending. This is what Congress budgets. Whenever we talk about a budget, we're only talking about discretionary spending. And the military, defense spending yeah. is part, is of, part that, of that, which still is phenomenal. Right, right. I mean, that's what, we, and, and uh, so that means uh, 70 to 75% of federal spending is on autopilot. That's, and that's mandatory spending, which is Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, pensions, so on and so forth. And then the rest of it is the interest on the national debt. I want our listeners to really catch that. Of, of our entire enormous uh, budget, only 30% Congress is actually dealing with. That's discretionary spending. Yeah. All the rest, 70 plus percent mandatory spending. Yeah. Uh, as you say, it's on autopilot. It's yeah. running itself and we can't touch it. Hey, you can go back and look at the, the news reports from the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018 and uh, the appropriations bills that came after it, uh, news reports were talking about the $1.3 trillion omnibus or, you know, the spending levels for fiscal 2018 and uh, 2019 being, you know, $1.3 trillion or $1.4 trillion, whatever it is this year. The CBO projects federal spending this year will be $4.4 trillion. Wow. There's a $3 trillion, there's $3 trillion that are missing. That is on autopilot. That is baked in the cake spending that is going to be spent without any specific authorization from Congress. Congress. It's just automatic. Yeah, it's just automatic. But the, the op-ed series in The Hill was, we released a booklet this week. It's called Entitlement Reform, an Emerging National Crisis. And uh, we had an event yesterday. We officially rolled that booklet out. Uh, we had Mr. Brady, uh, Kevin Brady, the ranking member of House Ways and Means, came and spoke, and he talked about some things he's working on. He's on, you know, Democrats are talking about expanding Social Security right now, the uh, Social Security 2100 Act. Uh, and he also talked about a piece of legislation he has in the works to uh, constrain federal spending. Uh, but then we had a panel with some of the people who contributed pieces to this entitlement booklet. And the series of op-eds that we've had were uh, op-eds that were written by my boss, Adam Brandon, the president of Freedom Works, uh, Jim, former Senator Jim DeMent, uh, myself and uh, Ramia Baca from the Heritage Foundation. So that was part of the four-part initial op-ed series, just basically saying, hey, we're doing this and we're talking about this because this is a real issue that we need to be talking about. Because 
if we don't get a handle on it now, we're going to crowd out discretionary spending because entitlement's going to eat so much. Mandatory spending is going to eat so much of the budget, overall federal spending. Uh, and we're going to be spending at the level of a European welfare state. Yeah. And look, we, we've, we've got to start, unfortunately, the, the process of descending, if you will, uh, in, in this, uh, this conversation. But you, you hit on some things there, Jason. We, it, it, at some point, we have got to have entitlement reform. Yep. And it's got to go beyond the discussion to actual teeth and action to start getting this uh, this whole thing of um, a mandatory spending under control. So what are we looking at? Well, uh, let me just add one more thing to this, if, if you don't mind, Congressman. I, w- I want to say, like, we, I remember back in 2012, I was listening to uh, then-Republican nominee Mitt Romney talk about cutting non-defense discretionary spending. If we cut non-defense discretionary spending, you know, we'll reduce outlays and we'll, we'll get, get us closer to a balanced budget. Uh, for my piece in this booklet and my op-ed as well, we could cut all non-defense discretionary spending out of the out of the federal budget and just stop spending that money. We would still run a budget deficit of three hundred billion dollars. Wow. I mean, and, and then you look at defense spending. Um, I think it's in the next couple of years, interest on the debt is going to surpass the total amount we spend on defense. We have real problems, and that's a real frightening part. Yes. When, when we get there, uh, that that's the type of thing what we're talking about that this becomes a national security. Yes issue. Yeah, and, and Mr. Biggs is absolutely He's right. absolutely yeah. right. Well, what, what is the Trump administration doing right now to try to address the federal debt crisis? <sighs> you know, I, I wish I had, this is one of those areas I don't give the administration high marks. Um, I give them high marks on tax reform and regulatory reform, A plus all, all day long. Um, on, on spending, uh, it's been a real disappointment. Uh, we had, because the president signed uh, the Bipartisan Budget Act, even though it was a, normally budgets aren't signed into law, it's just concurring resolution between the House and the Senate. But this one was signed into law. He signed the omnibus into law. Um, and yesterday he agreed to uh, uh, a $2 trillion <laughs> infrastructure package, which you know, he agreed to work with Democrats on it. Whether that actually happens, I don't know. But, um, you know, this is just one of those areas I'm, I'm perpetually disappointed with the administration on. And uh, I think it's – and we've, we've talked to the administration, especially back during the debt limit fight back in 2017 about, you know, getting behind a Swiss-style debt break to cap federal spending as a percentage of potential GDP, which is basically what the economy would uh, – what GDP would be at full employment. It's different from regular GDP. It's more stable. Uh, they were interested, but they told us entitlement reform was a fifth-year fifth priority, which was disappointing to hear because that assumes you're reelected. And certainly, you know, I, I do hope that happens, given a lot of the regulatory reforms we've seen under this administration and some other things. Um, you know, it, that's banking on a lot, and we should tackle this problem now. Uh, but I, I've just been disappointed by it. But in fairness, uh, the reality is what he has to work with. That's, he now has a, a yeah. Democrat-controlled House uh, and their their attempts of spending and what they want to do is so far uh, out of the park. So with that, is there any, any indication that the Democrats are going to try to approach the national debt with any real reform? No. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. I mean, there, there you go, folks. You heard it. No. Uh, in, in fact, as I mentioned, I mean, Democrats are talking about expanding Social Security, right. $18.9 trillion tax And increase. that's where we've got to be d- putting on the brakes, and right. we are and, doing and, and, all we can to pull the reins. Yeah. In. I mean, Green New Deal, all this stuff, not, you mentioned it, $90 trillion. I mean, it's ridiculous what they want to do, uh, and, and, you know, that every penny spent uh, as terms of a deficit is just a tax increase on future generations. I mean, and that's all Democrats seem to be concerned about is increasing the deficit. Uh, 
Well, Jason, you are an expert on all of this. I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know you're running like crazy, uh, and for you to take time to come be a part of the podcast today, we deeply, deeply appreciate it. Oh, Thank it's you. my pleasure, Congressman. And again, it's always great to see you in D.C. and go dogs. Like go dogs. That's right. <laughs> and listen to each of you, our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. As you well know, this is really all about you. We want to keep you informed as to what's going on from the front line inside baseball type of look. And so we appreciate you uh, participating. And listen, it takes all of us to make a difference. So I want to encourage you. Uh, to take time to write your representative, take time to make some phone calls to your senators. Make sure your voice is heard. This is We the People, and we are all in this thing together. So thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, this is Jody Heiss with the Freedom Caucus Podcast signing off. Have a great day.